This morning, I'm going to start you off with just what I hope is some very practical advice on um, how to be successful at a job, how to be successful in your career, and hopefully, most importantly, how to, uh, how to be successful as you combine family, life, work together, um, which is something that I have, uh, I have tried to do in my life, and sometimes it's, uh, it's tough. You heard from Rachel last night, eight children and a busy career and a husband who's a U.S. congressman. That's a, that's a lot of things to juggle, and, um, and I think you have to start by being strong within. Um, so I'm going to tell you a few stories of things that have happened to me in my career and uh, things I learned from them, and hopefully they will be, some of them at least, useful to you. Um, I'm going to start actually with something that I didn't intend to start with, but here it is. Um, one of the very first experiences I had early in my career, I was working at Phillips Publishing, and uh, it was a big newsletter company, and the chairman of the company was a man named Tom Phillips. And um, I had been hired as a junior editor, and it just so happened on this particular day that my boss and my boss's boss were both out of town, and the newsletter that I was working on had to go to the printer that day. And so I didn't expect this, but the chairman of the company called me into his office. God. So I, I had never, I had probably only said five words to him in the three or four months that I had worked there. Um, but I rushed down to his office and knocked on his door and went in. And he had this nice round table in his office. And I sat down. And as I sat down, he handed me a pad and he handed me a pen. And he said, had he, here, you might need these. And I was a little mortified that I had come in unprepared. Um, but I never did that again. And um, it seems like a small thing, but it was one of the most valuable lessons I learned early in my career. Never show up to a meeting, never show up to an interview without a pad of paper and a pen. And um, sometimes you won't write anything down. Sometimes you won't need it. But if you do, um, you will be very glad you had it. And more important than anything, um, or just as important, when you come in like that, you're communicating to the person that you are meeting with that what they have to say might be important, that you actually care about what they have to say, that there might be something that happens in that exchange that's worth writing down. And conversely, if you don't do that, um, you are subtly sending a message that um, you don't really need to keep track or keep notes of anything that happened in that meeting. Um, I think part of that was, uh, for me, was um, journalistically, you always are writing things down. But honestly, that's been a very, very useful, tiny little tip um, that I got early in my career that I have used and shared um, ever since. Um, so I'm watching you all write things down. Um, the, uh, my very first job was working in a public relations firm. And it was a woman-owned business. Uh, the woman's name was Suzanne Ives, and she had started this business by herself. And she was, um, I was really impressed with her. I was a little bit in awe of her. Um, she was a, you know, um, an entrepreneur, a business owner, and her clients were very, very powerful, all male. Every single client she had was a man. Um, and they were very powerful uh, real estate developers and businessmen in, 
in Northern Virginia and Washington, D.C. And I remember going to an event that uh, she had planned for one of her clients, and it was a big opening of a big luxury hotel that he owned and had developed. And so there were all kinds of famous people there. There were celebrities there. There were a lot of journalists and media there. And, um, and she had planned the entire thing and invited, she had envisioned it, planned it, invited, um, she'd really put this event on. It was a big deal for, um, for her client. And I remember watching her walk up to this client who was a, a very well-established businessman in Washington, D.C., and she was standing next to him as he was talking to the media. And he had walked in and he had his coat in one hand and he had his uh, drink in another hand and somebody asked him for a business card. And she went up to him and just very non, you know, um, very quietly um, took his coat and took his drink out of his hand so he could have his hands free. And I thought, oh, that's just so humiliating. I mean, my gosh. She just sort of became, you know, the busboy. She was just, you know, holding his drink and his coat and that's, you know, lowers her um, sort of prestige and value. And, um, and I thought, boy, I, I don't want to ever do that. And um, I was totally wrong. I was totally wrong. That was the totally wrong lesson. And I luckily realized that fairly quickly because what she had done was made herself indispensable to him. She had not worried about how she would look, whether that would look somehow subservient to him. She understood that part of being successful is service. And having a service mentality, being willing to help someone do their job better, being willing to help watch other people and see what it is that they need to help them, doesn't make you um, less valuable, it makes you more valuable. So I learned really early on that um, service is not subservient, it is becoming indispensable. Um, I, uh, so that's my first lesson. Have, um, adopt a service mentality and don't confuse it with being subservient. Um, I often tell people, um, young people that work for me or that I, that I meet, um, that, uh, that you should do what you love. When they say, I don't know what I want to do, my daughter's, my youngest daughter asks me all the time, I don't know what I want to do. And I, um, a lot of times you hear that advice, do what you love. And it sounds, um, sort of annoying because it's so vague and it also seems so impossible. Of course, I want to do what I love, but I also need to be successful and I need to be paid and I need to be hired and um, nobody's going to hire me to do that. Um, so uh, I want to share with you uh, this story. A, uh, it's the, the daughter of my longtime executive assistant who, who retired just last year. And um, uh, her daughter, Kimberly, was a um, very, very gifted violinist. And uh, she wanted to be a concert violinist. She went to Juilliard. And in her third year at Juilliard, she was diagnosed with carpal tunnel syndrome. And the doctor said, I'm sorry, you can never play the violin again. You cannot play the violin for longer than five or 10 minutes at a time, ever. You're never gonna be able to do this career. And she was, devastated. Um, this is what she'd wanted to do her whole life. That's what she loved, and that's what she thought she was going to do, and she was good at it, and she was on a track to do that. She didn't know what to do. 
Um, she couldn't figure out what to do. Um, she, was, she was good at math, too, as a lot of musicians are, and so she decided to, to take some business classes and some accounting classes. And um, today, she is the uh, CFO and business manager for the Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra. And, uh, and I love that story because even though she couldn't be a violinist, she took things that she loved and put them to use in her career. And I think that's the way to approach do what you love. Um, when I started in my career, my first job, there were a lot of things I did that I didn't really like, but I found one thing that I liked, I liked writing. And so I had one little thing in my job that I liked and a lot of other things that I just had to do. And then in my next job, I could put together a couple things that I liked. You know, I liked writing and I also liked business. So I became an editor at a, a business journal and I was a very junior editor, but it was still two things that I liked. I was interested in business and I was interested in journalism. And so I encourage you when you hear that advice, do what you love, um, to think of it as more look for something that you love in what you're doing and then try to build on that. Try at each point in your career to find or your life to add to the quotient of doing things that you enjoy and love. And as you go further and further in your life and your career, you will discover that a higher and higher percentage of uh, what you're spending your time doing um, is doing things that you love. Um, I also learned uh, very early in my career something that I will recommend to you. And uh, again, it sounds simple, but it's really important. And that is um, be the hardest working person in the room. Um, I'll tell you a story of an author that I worked with. I work with a lot of celebrity authors, and uh, as you can imagine. And um, some of them are, uh, have big egos, and uh, some of them uh, have things that they will do and things that they won't do. And um, sometimes that makes it a difficult challenge as a publisher to make sure that they're uh, marketing and promoting their book and doing book signings and media interviews and things that, that we particularly need them to do um, to, make, to make their book successful. And um, one, one author in particular that I worked with uh, about five years ago um, was, uh, was a big celebrity. And, um, and I was very worried that he was going to say, I don't have time to do all those things. I'm too busy. I'm too important. And um, we worked on a, a political book with him. And I remember doing a, a book signing. And this author, while he, there, were, there were some things about working with him that were very challenging, he was one of the hardest working authors I have ever worked with. There was not a book signing he wouldn't do. There was not an interview he wouldn't do. Um, in fact, in one, uh, one situation, we were doing one of the first book signings that, that he did, and we were in the a giant um, atrium of a big hotel in New York City, a big building in New York City, and it was in December. And uh, it was pretty cold outside. I think it might have been snowing. And, uh, and we were inside. He was sitting at the table. And there was a big line uh, waiting for him to start. And he called me over. He said, he said is, there, is there a big line? And I said, yeah, there's a big line. He said, is it going out the door? I said, I I'm pretty sure it's going around the block. It's so far out the door. Um, and he's like, that's great. That's great. And I thought, well, gosh, I mean, 
it's great for you, but you know, all those people are standing outside and, and it's starting to snow. And um, he called somebody else over from his uh, organization and said something to them in about I don't know, 10 minutes later, I saw all these carts walking by, uh, being rolled by, um, and he had arranged for the people in his office to get hot chocolate on these carts and wheel them out to the uh, people outside in the street so that they would not leave, <laughs> and they would wait to get a signed book, but also so that they would not be, uh, you know, dissatisfied and grumpy as they're standing outside. And um, I, that's one of my favorite stories because that author was Donald Trump. And uh, a lot of people criticize him for any number of things, um, but, I, but I particularly take issue when people criticize him for not caring about people and, not, and being lazy. Because I can tell you from personal experience, those two things are the opposite of, uh, of what he really is like. Um, so be the hardest per working person in the room and pay attention to um, you know, the condition of the other people in the room. Pay attention to taking care of the people around you and making them want to work with you, want to stay around you. Um, something I wish I had learned earlier, um, so I'll share it with you now, is um, just as it's important to start a job well, start anything well, it's just as important, just as important to leave well. Leave well. Um, when you have a new job, it's really exciting, and you want to show how enthusiastic you are and how what a wonderful decision uh, it was for the person to hire you. Um, to, for what a wonderful decision it was that the person did hire you, and um, and you sort of double down and, and work extra hard just you know out of excitement and wanting to prove yourself and that's very natural. It is much harder to do that after you have given notice and told someone that you are leaving to take another job. And yet that's what they'll remember. They actually will remember the last two weeks that you're there a lot better than they're going to remember the first two weeks that you were there. Um, and, and so not only is that the lasting impression that you will leave? But it's a small world. It's getting smaller all the time. You will probably meet some of those people again. You may very well work with some of those people again. You may be interviewing someday with some of those people again, um, or trying to make a business deal, or trying to marry um, one of those people. You don't know where you will meet those people again. Chances are you will. Um, so that's a really important reason to leave well. Um, the most important reason to leave well is because it will, it's the right thing for you to do and you will feel good about doing it. When I was in college, I um, did a study abroad program in Toulouse, France. It was wonderful, but it was long. And by the end, I was frankly kind of homesick and I was ready to leave. And I remember the, uh, the father of the family that I was with took me to the train station and put me on the train and said goodbye. And, you know, I thanked him, but honestly, I was, I was out of there. I was ready to leave. I didn't say a lot of the things um, that I wish I had said 
to him about how much I appreciated him, his family welcoming me and all the things he had done for me. And um, so he left and, um, and another friend of mine got on the train and I saw the interaction she had with her host family before she left. And, um, and I, I didn't think about it till afterwards. And she went back many times to visit her host family. I never did. Um, and it was because I didn't leave well. It's really important. Um, two times in my um, post here at, uh, at Regnery, I have not hired somebody at the very last minute. And um, in both cases, I had been interviewing uh, these folks and thought they were terrific, really well qualified. Um, and uh, one was a man, one was a woman, several years apart, and um, got to the very end of the process where I was checking references and, um, and found out that they had lied. They'd said something um, on their resume or in an interview that wasn't true. It actually wasn't, neither, in neither case was it a really big deal. In one case, the woman had said she was still working at a place, and I later found out she was no longer working there. She had left. Um, and in, with the man I was interviewing, he, um, he had led me to believe that he had left a job when in fact he had been fired. And um, I, I didn't hire them, uh, either one of them, not because of what they had done, not because of those two things. In fact, if they had told me those two things, it, it would have been fine. They, that would not have stood in the way of me hiring them. I didn't hire them because they lied. And um, in what I'm sure was much more uncomfortable for them than for me, I told them both that, each of them, in person. I had them come back um, and I told them that I had learned that and that, um, that I wasn't gonna offer them the job. Because of that, um, I did that in the hopes that they would learn something from it and not do it again, but also so that they understood that um, the, it's, you know, when you explain something on your resume, in your past, something that you're either embarrassed by or worried about or ashamed of, when you explain it, you control the message. You're able to, um, to explain it and, and answer questions and also obviously um, demonstrate that you have the integrity to do that. When you, uh, when you don't, um, you risk uh, the interviewer, the potential hirer, finding out. Guess what? We always find out. But uh, again, just as important as um, you know, not sort of getting caught in a lie is um, having the personal integrity to, uh, to deliver that news yourself. Um, related, on a related note, um, when you're in a job, remember uh, that bad news does not age well. Give bad news fast. When you find out something, whether you've done something wrong or something has gone wrong, let your boss know, let the person, the people that are affected by it know sooner rather than later. 
Here's one of my favorite stories from the book publishing trails. Um, we were publishing a book by a very big celebrity, a woman, and uh, she went on a book tour. And I'll probably give away who it is because you can look this up, but she went on a bus. We actually did one of those giant tour buses that you wrap in the person's face and um, sent her on tour to, I think, 15 or 17 different cities around the country to do uh, interviews and book signings and events. And so I decided that I would go to one of these uh, on, on part of this tour um, to show my support. So I flew to Omaha and uh, went to this, uh, this great event with the author. And one of the things she was doing was um, she was she was raising money for some charity and with t-shirts. So she was telling t-shirts and she said to me, is it okay once I do the book signing if I also sell these t-shirts over here? And I said, sure. So she sold a bunch of t-shirts. She had several thousand dollars worth of t-shirt sales in an envelope. She handed me the envelope and said, here, take care of this. So um, I took the envelope and uh, we got back in the bus and we were on our way to dinner. And um, I was like, what am I going to do with this envelope? I don't know. So I opened up a drawer. There were, you know, this is a bus that where you sleep, and there's a kitchen, and there's a bathroom. Um, so I opened up one of the drawers in kind of the bedroom area, put it in the drawer, closed the drawer. Um, we went out. We, the bus drove to a, to a very nice dinner. We had dinner. We got back in the bus. I opened up the drawer. It was the trash chute. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I had put it down the trash chute. So, yeah, I had a moment of panic, and, uh, and I, but instead of, but I had learned, thankfully, the deliver bad news fast lesson. So I uh, immediately went up to the, uh, her manager and I said, well, you're not going to believe this, but I put the cash down the trash. And he said, he said, oh my God, I just saw the bus driver emptying the trash because it goes down underneath into kind of the luggage area, right, of the bus, and then it's in a bag, and then every night, the, at the end of the night, the bus driver would empty it out and throw it out wherever we were. And he literally said, I just saw the bus driver empty the bag. And so we ran out, and he was carrying the bag to a dumpster. And we got it, and it was the only thing in the bag, and um, saved it, and we did not throw out, whatever, several thousand dollars of t-shirt money. So remember that. That will help you remember to deliver bad news uh, fast. It, uh, it, like I said, it doesn't age well. Um, the, the last thing, last of seven tips, and I'm sorry I don't have a PowerPoint, but I can email this to you if you want these seven tips. But the last one um, is something that I have learned uh, over time that has been reinforced to me time and time again. Um, and I'll tell you a personal story that I'm not sure I have ever shared before. Um, as some of you know, um, when I was in my mid-40s, um, I had three wonderful daughters. They were 16, 14, and 9. And um, my husband died. 
my husband got sick and died. Um, very shocking, uh, very uh, sort of surreal. And um, what the story that I have not, I don't think ever told, is that um, he died in the middle of the night. He died in his sleep. And um, the next morning was Friday morning. Um, and of course, my, I had to tell my daughters and my brother-in-law. And um, the house by then was full of people because he was very sick. And um, my kids, of course, didn't go to school that day. But my middle daughter had um, been very, very excited a couple, oh, probably a couple months before because she had gotten um, one of the leading roles in the school play. She was 14. That night was the opening night of the school play. And um, so she, she, she really wanted to do it, and I wanted her to do it. Um, she had worked really hard. It was very exciting, it was, you know, um, and it was opening night of the school play. So, um, so I called the music teacher, who was also the director, um, told her what happened, and said that Trina still wanted to, to do the play. And she said, well, you know, whatever she wants to do, of course. So, um, so we all went to the play, um, my parents and my other daughters and I, and saw the play. And, um, and afterwards, I remember someone found out, had found out that my husband had died. Her father had died that morning. And uh, they said to her, Trina, my god, how did, you, how did you do it? How did you manage to go on stage and do this? And she said, and she didn't know I was listening. She said, well, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't really know if I could do it, but I heard my mom say to my teacher, I know she can do it. And so I figured if my mom knew I could do it, I could do it. Um, and the lesson for me um, that that reinforced was how important it is that um, you make sure the people that you love know that you think they're amazing. Make sure that the people you love know that you think they're amazing. Um, everybody who meets me knows that I think my daughters are amazing. I could bore you with that. Um, just as important um, to make sure your husband knows that you think he's amazing. Um, Rachel last night talked about finding a good husband. And I have a whole speech on finding a good husband. It's really important. She's right. Um, but let me add a corollary to that. Just as important as it is to find a good husband, remember to ask yourself, what does it mean to be a good wife? Um, that's very politically incorrect. We don't care. Um, you know, uh, nobody talks about that. It, it's kind of cool in popular culture now to be a mother. You see lots of pictures of celebrities having babies, but it's totally not cool to be a wife. Um, it's a really important, challenging thing to be a good wife. Um, as you know, I'm a very successful leader of a very big company, um, and I you know, get a lot of satisfaction out of that. It's easy for me 
it has been in my career, easy for me to forget to ask myself that question, what does it mean to be a good wife? Um, but when my first husband got sick, I started to ask myself that question. And, um, and ever since, I have been um, reminded of how important it is to, um, to ask yourself, what does it mean to be a good wife? And part of it, maybe the starting point, is to make sure the people you love, including your husband, know that you think they're amazing. Um, I have a few bonus tips. That was seven. I'm going to give you a few more, and then I'll take some questions. Um, these are going to sound small. Trust me, you will use them. Always give uh, people a deadline when you want something, when you're, when you're working on something. And early in your career, you'll be getting assignments. Ask for a deadline. Sometimes I forget to give people a deadline, and I try to always say, if I forget to give you a deadline, ask me what it is. It's not... Um, it, it, it's actually the only fair way for somebody to give you an assignment is to tell you how long you have to do it and when they expect it. And if you don't ask for a deadline and if you don't give a deadline, then no one knows what to expect and there's a lot of opportunity for disappointment and resentment and uh, miscommunication because you don't know when something's due and they don't know when they're supposed to give it to you and vice versa. So ask for a deadline and make sure you give a deadline when you ask people to do stuff. Proofread everything. Emails, texts, um, notes, obviously, documents, memos. Um, here's something that I'm very glad I did not learn by um, hard experience. Never put something in an email that you wouldn't want to be read by the last person on the face of the earth that you would want to read this. Ask yourself that question. Who is the last person I would want reading this? Who is the person that I'm hoping never sees this? And then read it as if you are them. Um, I have been in business a long time, and it sometimes surprises me how often um, a colleague that I work with or maybe an agent that I work with will just forward an email that I have written to an author or to somebody else without any editing, without any cover note, just boom. You don't know who's going to read what you're putting in an email or a text or even a document. Um, so ask yourself, who is the last person on the face of the earth I hope reads this? And then make sure you're going to be able to face them if they do. Um, and here's one more. Um, there are only three ways to start a business communication. Congratulations, good news, and thank you. I challenge you to think of a business communication, a letter or a, an email or a memo that you can send that doesn't start with one of those three things. Um, and here's a hint. If it's bad news <laughs> um, or if you're saying something difficult, it probably starts with thank you. Um, and okay, so that's where I'll end. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'll take questions if you want them. Uh, good morning, Ms. Ross. My good name morning. is Christina Hughes, and I'm from Wingate University in North Carolina. Um, so my question for you is we're all young women. Some of us are in relationships. Um, you talked about being a good wife. How, how do, what are some more tips for managing your professional career and, and your personal life and being a good wife? That's a great question. Um, part of it is 
exactly what Rachel said, which is choosing the right husband. It means you know choosing somebody who respects you, who understands what is important to you and what you value and shares your values. Um, it's important that you have sort of the same life goals. Do you both want children? Do you want to live in the country? Do you want to live in the city? Do you want to, um, you know, do you want to work? Do you want to stay home? Does he want to help? Oh, that's my little chime. Sorry. Um, and, uh, and so part of it is right at the beginning, choosing someone that, um, with whom you share similar values, similar life plan, um, and somebody who respects you and appreciates you. Um, in fact, my husband would say, choose somebody who adores you. Um, and, but you know, that's just the starting point. Then, um, then a lot of it is up to you. And I think um, one of the things that's, has, that I have learned that's really important is that um, a lot of the um, problems that happen in marriages are about who's, who's in charge, who's in control. It's a, lot, a lot of times it's a, it's a big you know, battle of control. And um, the, uh, the, the sort of lesson that I have learned is that um, is sort of a version of the Reagan principle, but it's, it's sort of less important who's in control than that you both get to the place you wanna be. And so um, it's a really good idea to ask yourself when you're having kind of a headbutter in a relationship, is this because I wanna be in control? And if you step back and say, well, maybe I'll just let him be in control this time. Maybe I'll, I'll go with what he wants because in the end, it's much more important for me to have this wonderful relationship than to always be um, in charge. And I, I love being in charge, so that's sometimes hard for me. But, um, uh, but it's important, and that's not at all to say that you just sort of give in to everything your husband wants. If you choose the right husband, they're going to be asking, he's going to be asking himself the same question. How do I make her happy? How do I make sure she gets what she wants? How do we together um, go get to the same place? Um, so if you have that in a relationship, it's, it's sometimes a really good discipline to ask yourself, are we having an argument or a disagreement because I want to be, because it's about control? Hi, I'm Taylor from um, Texas. Texas. And yes, um, <laughs> um, this is kind of piggybacking on the good wife question. Um, nowadays, the feminist agenda often equates being a good wife with being a bad woman. Um, and how do you fight back against that um, beyond just living that life? Right. Um, that's a great question. Of course, I, I think um, that that's ridiculous. Um, I think that, and, but you're right, they do try to sort of brainwash um, or um, mislead uh, young women and all of culture to say exactly what you said, being a good wife is being a bad woman. Um, I think to a large degree, um, you have to not care what they say. They're not going to affect your happiness at all. You know, what someone, if, some, if, if, if there's a woman who truly thinks that that's being a bad woman, she's probably deeply unhappy. And um, one of the things that I have often told my daughters is um, when somebody's not nice to you, when somebody, um, 
does something that you find personally offensive or hurtful, and this used to happen when they were little. I'm sure this has happened to you. One time my daughter came home and she was very upset because one of her best friends had passed her in the hallway and had not looked at her. Um, and, um, and what I, uh, what I have said is you'll find out in life that when somebody isn't nice to you um, or does something like that to you, almost always it's, a, it's something to do with them, not you. It turned out that that girl who didn't look at her had put her dog to sleep that day. We found out. And that was actually a great moment because when my daughter found that out, I looked like a genius. No, she, she believed me. You know, that lesson really stuck with her. She's like, oh my God, that's true. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about me. And I think in the same way, when women say that, it says so much more about them and their inability to find happiness um, than it does about us. Um, so I think part of coping with that is just reminding yourself that. They're saying that because almost always they're unhappy and they haven't figured out um, where happiness comes from. And in some ways, they're jealous that, um, that you know, when they see a woman who can feel, who, who is successful and has maybe even a leadership role and also is a really good wife. So ignore them. <laughs> and related to that, sorry, I'll get to you in a sec. Related to that, um, I think it's really interesting to see um, how many of you have come with a friend Right? or have come, you know, groups of girls from the same school. Um, I think if you, um, I think our movement is, is, is a grassroots, very personal movement where we're gonna do this one girl at a time, one friend at a time, one woman at a time. If each of you invited one new friend to the next summit, we would, you know, go viral. We would multiply so quickly. Um, and so I think, again, the, the other thing is when someone says something like that that you know is not true but makes you feel bad, find another woman. It's not as hard as you think, and maybe you don't even think it's hard, but it's not hard to find somebody who actually agrees with you who's actually hoping you're right. And, um, and if you, um, you know, demonstrate that what that your values of being a good wife, of having a great marriage, of 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 thinking your husband is amazing, is makes you happy. Um, there are other women who 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 will be drawn to you, and um, and will grow. Uh, hi, I'm Katrina Fee. I'm from New York, and um, just thank you for speaking for us today and sharing your wisdom with thank us. Thank you. Um, and my question, as most of us are still in school, what is the most important thing or decision that you can do to set yourself up for a good career? I think it may end up being, sorry, um, to not feel like you have to make a decision right away. You know, I, I, there are a lot of um, my youngest daughter's friends. She's, she's at UVA, and she doesn't know what she wants to do. And it's really bothering her because she's surrounded by all these really driven students who are positive they know what they're going to do. And, um, and I think if you can have the strength to say, here are the things I like doing, here are the things I'm good at, but I don't necessarily know 
what it is, what my career is going to be. I want to explore a lot of things. I want to gravitate towards what I am good at and what I like. And you want to have both of those things in what you do. But I would say um, one of the mistakes you can make is to try to make a decision too early on about exactly what your career is going to be or exactly what job you want to have. So I think it's much more important, again, gravitate towards what you enjoy and are good at, which often are the same thing, and, um, and then be the hardest working person in the room. <laughs> People will notice. <laughs> All right, sorry. I guess that is it. Thank you very much. I will talk to you later. <laughs>